Today, though, we are kicking off a brand new series called Not Enough. So grab out your Bibles and something to take some notes with. One of these days, I have committed my life to convincing you to take notes. And so one day you will do it, all right? So even if it's not today, grab out some notes to take some notes with today. So we're kicking off a brand new series called Not Enough. And this is kind of born out of an idea we started last week on Easter. This idea that we are not good enough, that we will never be good enough, and that Christ is the only way to heaven. And you you heard about this last week. I told you that you're not good enough, that everybody needs Jesus. And so I thought we would take a few weeks and look at some other ways that we are not enough. We're just going to encourage ourselves this April. You know, it's just going to be a great time of encouragement. I thought we would look each week. And so to kind of give you a roadmap of where we're going to go. In this, in this kind of series, the first week, I'll tell you in just a moment, but next week, we're going to talk about how we are not good enough, we'll never be good enough, and how that kind of idea, how we can flesh that out, because I think sometimes, if we don't look at it from the right perspective, the enemy, the devil, will try to use it to discourage us. When this idea of you're not enough and you can't ever be enough and you'll never measure up, he'll try to twist that to be a discouragement, but honestly, I believe God can use some of these things, as true as they are, to set some of you free. That these ideas that you can't be enough, that we're not good enough, that is good news, everybody. So we're going to talk about that next Sunday in week number two. In week number three is probably my favorite one. We're going to introduce the idea that you're not strong enough, that there's no way you're able to handle it all, that you weren't designed to handle it all. And so we're going to talk about what that means for this series. You can tell it's going to be real encouraging, all right? Just you're not, you're not enough. If you want a buzzword to put on your fridge and on your bumper sticker, it's that you're not enough. That you'll never be enough. Today, though, we're going to deal with the truth that most of us know intellectually. Most of us have it up here, but very few of us live practically, myself included. And that is the idea that no matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you try, you will never, ever please everyone. You can't be pleasing enough. That no matter how hard you try to do it, and I don't know, probably, like I said, we know this intellectually. If you've had the opportunity to be around more than five humans in your life, you understand the idea you cannot please everyone. That you will never, ever, ever be able to please every single person. In fact, I had a chance this weekend to talk with a buddy of mine who owns a store here in town. And he was just telling me a little bit about his customers and about some of the stuff they do. But one of the things that he said was this idea that no matter how much you do, no matter how hard you try, you can never make everybody happy. It doesn't matter if you bend over backwards. It doesn't matter. You can go the extra mile. You can give everything away for free and somebody will complain that you're not giving it away fast enough. Like you just, he said, you can do anything you want. Now, if you know people, you know you can never make everybody happy. And I kept thinking this in my mind. I kept going back and forth later that night, but somehow we still try. We know it intellectually. You might be like me. You know that you cannot make everybody happy, but somehow we still waste all of our energy trying. Trying to please everybody. Somehow we still try. Even as a pastor, I'm not immune from this. We have this thing. And so in my own life, it may be real or imagined, the pressures that I feel when I'm, I'm, I want people. Because I'm a regular person. I want people to like me. And so this idea of, well, if I preach a good sermon, then maybe you'll come back next week. Maybe that'll just be. And if I don't, then maybe you won't. I have these things, these pressures. And we put ourselves in these pressure cookers thinking I can please everybody. I can make everybody happy. And so there's this unhealthy temptation, really, to surrender our lives to the opinions of others. There's this, this, I don't know, preoccupation or this fixation we get that somehow we have to submit our lives. Somehow we have to just give over control of our lives to the opinion of others. And so I want to talk a little bit today 
about the truth. You cannot please everyone. But it's weird how our spiritual enemy will try to twist that truth. They'll try to massage it, to manipulate it, to somehow be a discouragement. And so you may say, well, I can't please everybody, so I better try really, really hard to please as many people as I can. Or or maybe that's not your thing. Maybe for you, it's this idea of I can't please everybody, but I've got to please a certain subset of people. Because if I don't, if they're not happy, then my life is worthless. That somehow I am a failure. If, If I haven't pleased this subset. And the truth is you are not designed to please everybody. You are not designed to please people. And so say this with me out loud. I cannot please everyone. Come on, say that with me. All right. If more of you say this, you will please me. All right. So come on, say this. out. If I cannot please everyone. Let's say this. I can please God. I want to talk today about the idea that we live for the audience of one. That we were not designed to please everybody, that we can kind of release ourselves from living for the opinions of others, that we have been designed to please God. That that is what our lives are about. And like I said, we know this intellectually. You've probably heard this before, but somehow we don't live it out practically. Somehow we're still running frantic trying to please everybody else. So we're going to start our series, kind of start out the message today, picking up a story from last week, picking up a story from Easter. I'll remind you, Paul has gone into the city of Galatia. He's gone into the area of Galatia. And he's begun preaching the gospel that Jesus and Jesus alone is the way to salvation. And so he's preaching this message, and there's a whole bunch of people he's realized that people are misunderstanding what it means to be right with God. And so you remember last week, there's a group of people that say, well, the only way that you can be saved is by circumcision. And then there's a whole group that says the only way you can be saved is by keeping the whole law. And then there's a bunch of them that say, no, you need both of those. And then there's a bunch that are saying, no, you need neither of those. And so Paul comes in and he just kind of sets the record straight. He's like, no, it's only through Christ and Christ alone. That it's only salvation only comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. And so remember, Paul's trying to straighten out the mess. And so he comes in with this bold and controversial message. As soon as he starts preaching it, there's a whole group of people that hate him for it. And so he realizes there's a whole group that opposes the message that he's trying to preach. There's a whole group that opposes this Jesus alone type of message. And then Paul realizes he sees overnight his approval rating plummet. Come on, somebody. He just sees it like the next morning wakes up and his ratings and polls in the newspapers, everything has gone south. And he realizes, because it's an election year, that they're electing apostles to go back to Jerusalem. And so he realizes that he won't get elected if he doesn't change his message. And so he softens the message for one group. He changes it for another. He write, That's not what he does. Come on, somebody. You guys are falling asleep on me the week after Easter. That's not what he does. Paul comes in, he preaches Jesus and Jesus alone. There's a whole group that hate him for it. And so he preaches it louder. He starts to get more and more intense about it because he realizes it's not about what they think. It's not about what they So he preaches boldly. You have to be saved by Jesus alone. It's not by works. It's not so you can brag about who you are, or how great you are. You're never going to be enough. It's only Jesus. And that's why before he tears into them in chapter three, even though they hate him for it, even though all these things, these groups that are trying to come against him before he gets to chapter three, where he really just tears it. We read that last week. He makes this statement in chapter one that I love and I hope it becomes a I hope it becomes the mantra for our lives that we begin to live out this verse in Galatians chapter one, verse 10. I hope it's true for all of us. He says, obviously, obviously, I love how he starts it. Obviously, I am not trying to win what I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. He says, obviously, you see the message that I'm preaching. Obviously, you see the way that I'm not backing down when this group doesn't like me. I don't care what they think. Obviously, I am not trying to please people. But of God, if pleasing people were my goal, 
I wouldn't be Christ's servant. He says, if being pleasing to people, if pleasing everybody was the goal of my life, I wouldn't follow Christ. And on the flip side, if pleasing people was the thing that I went after, I wouldn't be going after Jesus. I wouldn't have my eyes on him. Listen to me, the fastest way to forget about pleasing God is to try to please people. To try to always try to please everybody in this world. Try to always live for the opinions of others. The quickest way to forget about pleasing God is trying to please people. So say it again. I can't please everyone. But I can please God. I can please. Are you a people pleaser? Like Paul is talking about. He's saying, I'm not a people. Are you a people pleaser? Like myself, have there been too many seasons in your life where you have committed your life to the opinions of others? We have tried to please others. So to help us unpack this, I've got a few characteristics of people pleasers. So we're going to have a little self-reflection. I think it's healthy to reflect every now and again. And if it hurts, come on somebody, it is the truth, all right? So are you a people pleaser? A few characteristics of those. Taking notes, you can jot the first one down. People pleasers tend to internalize criticism irrationally. Tend to amplify criticisms Isn't it true that as soon as somebody tries, how much it hurts when somebody criticizes. This is something that I had to fight for years where I would preach a sermon. And if 10 people said, that's a great sermon, I really enjoy that. But one person would say, you know what? I didn't really like such and such. I I would think I am a horrible failure. I I just, I am no good. I cannot, you could have a hundred people speaking benefits and things into your life. One person criticizes and suddenly we are up in arms. My life is complete failure. There's nothing. Do you? Do you irrationally amplify criticism? How many of you would say, just in honesty, how many say that's me? I, I take criticism too personally. Anybody today? Oh, just a bunch of perfect people in this church today. All right, that's just fine. Some of you, some of you are honest with each other. Second thing, second characteristic of people pleasers, they live with a constant fear of rejection. Please accept me. Please don't reject me. Please, I'll do whatever it takes to be accepted. I want to be a part of whatever it is. I want to be in the in crowd. I want to do whatever it takes to be accepted. How many would say in a moment of honesty, that's you? How many would say, yeah, I, I take a little bit of trouble in being, I can tell this is a hit today. You guys are really into this. Third characteristic of people pleasers, difficulty to express a true opinion. Now, I, I have an opinion about this thing, but I don't want to tell you what it is because I want you to like me. I, I honestly, I, I feel a certain way about this. I believe this. I know this to be true, but I don't want to tell you. I don't want to have an opinion because I want to be accepted. I want to be liked. I might hurt your feelings and I want you to like me. How many would say I've had a hard time expressing feelings? Anybody? I think there's more of you just having a hard time expressing your feelings. All right. I just think that's what, <laughs> that's what I think. All right. That's just final one characteristic of people pleasers. They'd be people with the inability to say no. The inability to say no. Come on, just raise your hand right if that's you. You just tend to overcommit to some things. You just kind of just over it. We're going to talk about that in week number three. Because I think, I just, I think this is true, that there's just such a, there's an overcommitment. And I'll talk about that in just a moment in our culture today. But you just like me. And honestly, this, this particular trait, this one has the chance to mess you up on the inside. Because so many times we are outwardly, we are outwardly, Submissive. We are outwardly agreeable, but we are inwardly resentful. And we live with this thing where you're not able to say no, but on the inside, you are tearing yourself apart and you are outwardly agreeable. Yeah, sure, I'll be there. Yeah, sure, I'll do that. But inwardly resentful. Can't believe they wouldn't respect my time. Can't believe they would want me. Oh, yes, pray the Lord. I'll be there, brother. I'll be there when you need me. 
And we have this tension going on where we're not true to ourselves. And so this this inability to say, no, I had a buddy in college that somehow a rumor got started about him that he had a truck and was willing to help people move. Come on, somebody. He was just... And so, I don't know if you've ever owned a truck. You just, if you do, and people find out about it, you are moving grand pianos and beds. It's just in the nature of it. And so, I don't know how this rumor got started. I don't know who did it. It might have been me. Come on, it just might have been somebody. got. And so, he became this. Everybody would call him. Everybody would use him. And he couldn't say no. And I remember one time we're sitting in our apartment, and he had just been on the phone with one of these groups. They were about to do a fundraiser, and they needed him to haul a trailer across the campus. And so he's just on the phone. Yeah, sure, I can do it. I'll be there. Yeah, 3 o'clock, whatever thing. Ended the call, and he looked at us, and he was like, it never ends. They want me to haul their stupid trailer across campus for this trash event that nobody even wants to go to. It never ends. And then he looked down and realized he didn't end the call. Come on, somebody just... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I thought, praise the Lord, it's better than I ever imagined. It just got, it never, the inability, outwardly agreeable, inwardly resentful, and it is tearing us apart, the inability to say no. People pleasers. Because some of us have become addicted to pleasing people. Some of us have this in our life. Somehow, some way, we know it intellectually, we'll never please everybody, but somehow we have arranged our lives. We are addicted to pleasing everybody. And I'll just remind you, pleasing people is the quickest way to forget about pleasing God. It's the quickest way. So what are we going to do? Two simple points I want to make today. And I pray that the truth of God would set us free from the pleasing of people. They would set us free from the opinions of others. Two truths for you. Point number one, if you're taking notes, you can jot it down. And that is that people pleasing is a form of idolatry. It's a form of idolatry. And it's a very, very serious, harsh statement, but it is very, very true. That this idea of pleasing everybody is a form of idolatry. God says you'll have no other gods before me. That there would be nothing before me. But when we put the opinions of people over the opinions of God, we are putting people in God's rightful spot. When we agree, when we in our lives begin to live for the opinions of others, that I care more about what you think than about what God thinks, we are practicing idolatry. We have put somebody or some opinion or somebody's emotion, somebody is above God in our lives and it has to stop. We have to be set free from it. In fact, you see a great example of that. I honestly believe that this is more a spiritual problem than a relational problem. Because you see it in the New Testament. There are leaders who are believers in Christ. Jesus' ministry is going on. They're believers in Jesus, but they won't go public with their faith. Maybe like some of us. And maybe some of us won't go public with our faith because we don't want people to think we're just some Bible thumping nut. And we don't want people to think, well, we're just some kind of weirdo or we want people to like us. And so we won't go public. And so these people in the same way, while Jesus's ministry is going on, they believe in him, but they won't say it out loud. Watch why. It's in John chapter 12. It says, because of the Pharisees, some believed in him. And watch this. Because of the Pharisees, they wouldn't openly acknowledge their faith. For fear they'd be put out of the synagogue. And watch what it says. For they loved what? They loved human praise more than praise from God. And one translation said they loved the praises of men more than the praises of God. That they were so wrapped up and they believed in Jesus. They followed Jesus. They loved Jesus, but they wouldn't say it because they loved the praises of men more. They loved the praises of men more. It's idolatry. We love people and their opinions more than we love God. 
And I'm not saying this from some high, top, lofty mountain. This is something I have struggled with through many seasons of life, that I have valued the opinions of people, intentionally and unintentionally, more than the opinion of God. That we would love the praises of people. We care more about their opinions than we do about doing the right thing. we got to be set free from it. we got to be set free. And we fall into this trap, myself included, and so you would say, well, what trap? I want to look at Proverbs chapter 29. This, I think there are a couple. There's a million traps we might find ourselves in. There's a couple I want to draw attention to today. But 29, I want to see this verse. It says, fear of man will prove to be a snare. That fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. Fear of man, fear of what people are going to think. Fear of what people are going to think about us. Fear of what people are going to say. Fear of what people are going to react. Fear of how they're going to yell at us or they're going to be angry with us. Or they're going to, this fear of man, it says, proves to be a snare. Proves to be a snare. Proves to be a mokesh. That's the Hebrew word there. And it literally means a snare or a trap. It's this idea, this noose for animals. It, it means a hook in the nose, if you can imagine that imagery. It's this idea, this trap that we would fall into, this thing that would hook us, this fear of man. That it suddenly begins this hook in the nose that then suddenly leads us everywhere all over life. And suddenly, well, can you be over? Yeah, yeah, sure, I can be there. Can you compromise? Yeah, sure, I can do that. It, it, it hooks in the nose and it will lead you the rest of your life unless you're set free. This fear of man, it becomes this snare to us that sometimes we don't even realize is there. If you've ever hooked a fish, sometimes we don't even know that the hook is there and we're being reeled in by it and tossed around by the opinions of others. And it's the fastest way to forget about pleasing God. The fastest way to see it. And so it leads you around all of your life. And so it's this idea of, well, hey, can you come here? Yeah, yeah, sure. I can, I can, hey, can you be this? Hey, yeah, yeah, sure. Can you compromise your values here? Sure, sure. Hey, can you use money you don't have to buy things you don't want to please people you don't like? Yeah, sure, I'm there. Because it's a hook in the nose. It's, it's leading you down a path you never thought you would go. But now that you're trapped, you find yourself on. Now that, you're tra- now that you're hooked by this, that you somehow are addicted to pleasing others, you somehow need to have that validation and you forget all about what God thinks and all you care about is what they think of you, of what they think of your actions or your life. It's a hook in the nose. This idea of, hey, do you like me? Do you think I'm funny? Do, you f- do I fit in? Can I be a part of the crowd? Can I be in? Can I, can I just be? Do you like my house? Do you like my kids? Do you like the way that we live? And we begin to live our lives for those expectations. We've got to be set free. It's an idol. It's an idol in our lives. And so what is it? It's a hook in the nose. It's a trap that we drag ourselves and we have to be set free. Two of the traps the enemy will drag us into. Two of the traps that will be in our lives. The first one, if you're taking notes, we'll call the compromise trap. This trap of compromise. I'll compromise for you. I don't know how many, a billion times we have seen it where maybe a guy and girl are dating or out and the guy's pressuring her to give in and to... to you know, give into the relationship. She's saying, no, I want to save myself because I believe that's what's right. But I don't want it to think that I don't love him and I don't want it to think that I don't like him. And so I'll give in, I'll compromise for you. Or maybe the girl is compromising and trying to pressure the guy and the guy is thinking, well, I don't want my friends to think that I'm not really a man. So I'm going to compromise this relationship. Or maybe you're at work or at school and somebody tells a really off-color joke, really just disgusting, but you'll laugh anyways because you don't want them to think, well, you're just a religious Bible-beaten nut. And so you'll laugh a little bit at it because you don't want that to be your label. And so you'll compromise. 
Or maybe you're at your job and you're thinking, you know, I've got to close this deal. I haven't been doing well the last few months and I have to close something. And so you'll lie a little bit about whatever it is, the parameters or the numbers. You'll massage and you'll manipulate in order to close the deal because you need your boss to like you and you need some things to happen. And so you'll compromise. And too often times we'll fall into the trap of compromising because the fear of man will be a snare. It's a trap. It's a hook in the nose. And so we'll compromise what we know to be right because we want the opinions of others. Second trap is this trap of commitment. I care so much about what you think that I'm going to do more than I should. I'm going to give myself more than I should. I'm going to neglect things that are actually biblical and godly in order to be for everybody what they need me and want me to be. It's this trap of overcommitment. We're going to talk about that in week number three, because I would argue that just normal societal pressures, what it has become, the normal pressure of what expectations are being placed on us has become insane. It's become insane and it's not sustainable. It actually will destroy you. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that at the end of this series. That these pressures and then these expectations, but this inability to say no, this desire to please people has caused us to overexert and overcommit. And the amount that we are overcommitted, that we are overstretched, that we are under-resourced has become insane. And honestly, we become blind to it. We think, well, it's just normal. It's just how life ought to be. It's not. It's not. And so too often times we have committed everything Because we don't want to let anybody down. What is it? It's idolatry. It's surrendering and sacrificing the values of God in order to gain the opinions of people. It's idolatry. So what's the answer? What's the what's the cure for this? Because let me tell you, for me right now, this is an ongoing struggle. This is not something that I have figured out. And somehow I am coming to you with the 10 tablets and all the things. This is not what that is. This is something that's a constant struggle during every season of life. And it really is because as a pastor, I want to serve you. I want to be liked. I want to love you guys. I want you to love me. I don't like hateful emails. Come on, somebody. I don't like I don't like angry Easter surveys. That should be an oxymoron. I don't like I don't like when people rant and rave. I want you to like me. But the only way I am going to follow what God has for my life is not to live for the opinions and the pleasing of others. The only way I'm going to live what God has for the plan for my life is to forget about the opinions of others and to live only for him. And so we have to get that in our lives. So here's the answer. Number one, people pleasing is a form of idolatry. Number two, jot it down if you're taking notes. The fear of God is the cure for the fear of man. You want to figure out how we're going to cure this thing. If you've already agreed with me in point number one, that fear of man, this idea, this trap, this hook in the nose, it's a form of idolatry, then the cure for that, the fear of God, is the fastest way to cure the fear of man. I want to look at this verse, but it's that simple. This one statement, because the fear of God, because if you would say, I'm kind of a people pleaser, let me just tell you this and say it lovingly, but say it boldly. That the opinions of people, people have become too big in your life, and God has become too small. If you say, I I think I'm a people pleaser, I think some of those characteristics, I think I've committed my life too much, I think that's who I've become, then I would just say this, and again, I love you and I say this in all love, but people have become too big in your life and your God has become too small. And I'll say this, the opinions of people, you have weighed them too greatly in the way that you live your life, and the opinion of God you have diminished. You have set it aside. Psalms 34, verse 9, it says, let the Lord's people, watch this, You as godly people, let them fear the Lord. Let them fear the Lord for those who fear him. Watch this. will have all that they need. Says you godly people, you who love the Lord, you 
Lord's people, let them fear God. Let them know him. Let them revere him. Let them have this awe and reverence of who he is. Let them see him. Let them seek him. Let them know him. And watch this. And they'll have all that they need. Let them fear God because the fastest way to forget about the fear of people is to fear God. Is to make him big in your life. Because then suddenly when somebody's asking you, hey, can you compromise here? No, I don't care about your opinion. I'm living for the opinion of God because God is big in my life. No, I, I can't go there. No, I can't do that. No, I can't do all of those things because I'm living for the opinion of God. God is big in my life. I've made him big. I have a fear of God. And watch this. When you have that fear of God, suddenly he is approving of your life. When his overarching approval comes on your life, that's all that you need. You don't live for the pleasing of others. You don't live so that you can just kind of please every single... But you're not living for that anymore. You're living to please God. So, hey, can you, can you come over here? No, I can't do that because God has called me to be about something different. And, hey, you can make fun of my family and you can make fun of the way that we live. I don't care about that because God has called us to be about something different. And you can look at people and say, hey, I don't care what you think about the way that I am. I don't care about you think the way that we live our lives. I don't care how you think about the way we spend our money. I don't care how you think about the way we spend our time. God has called us to be about something different. And you can answer that because the fear of God, you have all that you need. You're no longer living for the approval of man. You're living for the approval of God. And we need to be set free. Some of us need to be, it's a hook in the nose, this fear of man, this trap. That we have found ourselves somehow hooked. And if you have found yourself there, there's no condemnation in Christ. I promise you, you can be set free. But we've got to begin fearing the Lord again. We've got to live with the fear of God. Because it doesn't matter what people think. You begin to say, I'm obedient to what God has for my life. And they ask, why? Because God is big. Because the opinion of God is big. Because I want to live for him and not the approval of man. And if God calls me to take a faith risk, if God calls me to take a step, then I'm going to do it. And I don't care what people say. I don't care what their opinions are because we're not living for that anymore. That's who we need to be as Christ followers. That we would live for the approval of God. And I don't know how else to say this, everybody, but you need to be set free. You've got to be set free. Too many times in too many seasons of life, we have let that hook in the nose trap us. We have let it lead us about like a lamb to the slaughter. We have been led by the hook that we have been sunk in it somehow it's societal pressure maybe it's a culture maybe it's just peer whatever it is we've been trapped by it and we've let our lives run amok because we have let other people lead us instead of living for the approval of god some of you your life would be completely different if you didn't suffer from this people pleasing disease you probably have a different career. You might have live in a different place. You might be educating your kids differently. You might be doing different things. You might be living with financial margin instead of trying to please everybody. You would be living a completely different life if you didn't suffer from this disease. The Bible says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You want to be different, you follow after God. Because I promise you, if you are living a life that is normal, you are not following Christ. Because it's different. And too many times, this culture and this society, it's become one of consumerism and people pleasing. And it is a disease. It is a sickness. And we have to be set free. We have to be set free. Otherwise, you'll live your entire life led about by a hook in the nose. You'll live your entire life pandering to the pleasing and the opinions of others. And you'll never, ever live to the expectation that God has for you got to be set free. 
You have to be set free. So I promise you, number one, it's a form of idolatry, but number two, the fear of God is the quickest way to forget about what people think, to forget about the opinions of others. Because even in the church world today, the message is what would please people? What would make people happy? No, no, it's not about that. What makes God happy? What pleases him? What is going to please God? And let him set you free from the opinions of people. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray today. Father, just do something deep inside of us. God, we just ask if we have been trapped, if we have been hooked, if we have been pandering to the opinions of others, set us free today. Lord, if we have been living for the opinions of people, set us free. Lord, let us only fear you, only reverence you, live our lives that we would please you. God, we ask you today, set us free. Right now, while you're praying, just keep praying, church. There's some of you who are here today and you're realizing that you have been consumed with the opinions of others and you want to go free. And you're realizing that you've been consumed with all of that. And I want to pray for you. But there are some of you that you've never been set free in your life. You don't know what it even means to follow Jesus. And you're saying, well, I'm hearing this about freedom and about this and that. It sounds, I want that. It's something, it sounds like how I want to live my life. I would just tell you that the first step towards that is a relationship with him. The Bible talks about this, that we are saved through faith and faith alone, that without faith it is impossible to please God. And so if that's you today, you say, I want that. It begins with faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. If you want to take that step and you say, I want to have faith, it begins in believing in Christ and Christ alone, believing that he is more than enough. That he died on the cross, that he rose again, that he shed his blood, that you could go free. That he paid the price of sin so that you could go free. And so maybe you've been told a lot of confusing things about the gospel. Maybe you've been been told a lot of confusing things about the Bible, about what God thinks. And you might have been told that God is mad at you or that he doesn't want you or that somehow you have to fix this thing on your own. Listen to me. The truth of God's word is that God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. I don't care how far you've run. I don't care how much you've done. I don't care what things you've allowed. I don't care where you're coming from. God loves you and he wants to free you. And the blood of Jesus is more than enough. And so that's you today. Every head is bowed. Nobody's looking around, but you say, I want to make that step. I believe in Jesus. I want to submit my life to him. I want to live for his approval. If that's you right now, it'd be my honor to pray with you. And we're going to pray this prayer with you. Nobody prays alone. But if you make that decision, you say these words, I can give them to you, but you have to mean them yourself. It's a prayer of submission. If you want to take that step right now, say these words in church, let's pray with them. Say, Jesus, save me. I surrender. I repent of every sin. I repent of every mistake. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again and I make you Lord of my life in Jesus' name. Now, Father, I thank you that you have set us free. God, I thank you that we would live not for the applause of man, not for the approval of others, but we would live for the acceptance of our God. I thank you, Lord, that you have looked over us and you have approved us, that you love us and that you are walking with us every step of the way. And so I ask you, set us free from the hook of people pleasing 
Set us free from the addiction of trying to approve the opinions of others. Set us free from that today. Lord, let us live with a fear and reverence of who our God is. Let us live with a fear of our God and thank you that it is all that we need. Lord, that you approve of us, that we are your children. That you can give us the strength to live each day for the approval of our God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, church. Can we praise God for what he's done today?